Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we discuss sustainable impact investing, creating portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as we explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. It's April. It is. It is. <laughs> we, are, we are partway into spring. I'm so excited because yes. it's a whole lot warmer today than it was yesterday and I'm just looking for some sunshine. That's all. Right. I know. Me too. You know, I just came back from some sunshine with my mom. So That's right. that was a, a great trip. And of course, it's insanely windy in New Mexico, like it is every spring. And we've got four fires burning already. Oh, Can you believe it? No. Gee, yeah. That's yeah. Terrible. It's crazy. So, well, anyway. I, I know that we, uh, we could talk all day about that because you yes. and I chat about everything, but <laughs> you've got a guest on the show today. Who'd you bring on? I do. I have Kristen Hull. Um, Kristen is from Nia Impact Capital. And I'm going to tell you some things about her, but she really focuses on gender lens investing in her asset management. And you and I have talked about this a lot, Eric, and it's a great subject. And I think we're having a great conversation today. R- Kristen, remind, me, real yeah. quick, remind the audience what gender lend, lens investing is. Just, well, just kind of a, a brief definition. Or are you going to let yeah, her do that? I am going to ask Kristen there you go. about that. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll let gun. her Sorry, answer. I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so Kristen has a pretty long history in um, impact investing and, and in this field. She, um, she launched NIA Global Solutions in 2013. And her reason was to bring activism and impact investing into public markets. Before that, she was president and chair of the board of the Hull Family Foundation. And in that capacity, she oversaw all the investment efforts, moving the endowment from the, quote, traditional investment style portfolio to one of the country's first 100% mission impact invested portfolios in in a foundation. So Kristen, uh, she has, she's got quite a, quite a list of uh, achievements, but um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention about Kristen, she was a educator in the classroom before becoming a asset manager. And I just think that is amazing and probably helped a lot in her work that she's doing now. So Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. So glad to have you today. Hello, Kim. And thank you so much for having me. Yes. You know, for all the reasons it took us a while to coordinate, and I'm so happy to be here um, discussing one of my favorite topics with um, an impact expert as yourself. Yeah. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. And um, at NIA Impact Capital, your intention really is to change the face of investing and uh, specifically impact investing with your focus on gender lens investing. Um, Also, you look at the inclusion and diversity in leadership and your goal really here is make huge changes. So where do you begin? 
Oh, thank you so much for the big question. And um, <laughs> there's so many entry points for how to do this work that you really, there. it isn't, oh, you have to begin here. And then it's not linear, um, just like our economy isn't linear. You know, we really do need to be thinking about a circular economy. So bringing feminine concepts into the way we think about investing, the way we think about trajectories for companies, um, the way we think about um, just the concept that we know that we get the economy that we invest into. And so directing money, our assets, our investment, our retirement funds into the economy that the that we actually want that will benefit everyone. So inclusive, sustainable, just, um, that's even just part of bringing a gender lens. Um, of course, me as a white woman that I am thinking that way, I'm also thinking just what, what are the things that we've overlooked for being an asset manager? You may know this, although maybe not all of your listeners will know that women and people of color combined make up just 1% of all of the assets managed. So 70 to $80 trillion. And so what does that mean when um, those seats are not at the table? And and what would it mean to be more inclusive about who is making our investment decisions? So so that's part of what we're up to at NIA. That statistic is not surprising, but also rather alarming about how little capital is in the hands of women and minorities. Um, I want to repeat something you said, because it really struck me. We get the economy we invest in. And I I just think that's great. You should make that your, uh, <laughs> your tagline. <laughs> it's perfect, because it's true. If we're not investing in the things we want to support, then those things are not going to happen. They're not going to change. I have a question. another question for you. What what was your, since you, you came to this uh, from the Family Foundation and creating uh, impact portfolios there, what was your personal aha moment that moved you from managing those assets in traditional investments to impact investments? Oh, sure. So we didn't really have the traditional aha moment. In fact, it was, it was kind of interesting because um, we... So my dad started a trading company in our garage, as one does in California. And so I was highly involved in that company, you know, from day one. So from the backseat of the station wagon, you know, we were talking puts and calls and pork bellies and options. Oh my gosh, that's great. So yeah, so I have a trading background and and what we learned to be true and what we were able to do very well was harness financial harness the financial markets for financial gain. And, you know, so the mantra at the dinner table at that time and and always for my dad still is to buy low and sell high as often as one possibly can in any given day or time period. And so knowing that in a trading firm, those were the goals. Um, I just came into this world as a change maker and a social justice advocate. And I had been, uh, you know, been an activist before I was uh, uh, worked at the trading firm or, you know, was a portfolio manager. And so when we sold that company, it was an opportunity to step back and for me, really think about capital markets. And, you know, if we could harness them for financial gain, could we also harness them for environmental sustainability and social justice? So that's really how I came at this. And 
we were brand new to a family foundation. We didn't grow up with wealth. It wasn't until that event of selling that company where we actually had, you know, an extra bucket and uh, decided to start the foundation. And so the good news about that is we didn't have any history or knowledge about how to invest uh, the endowment. And so didn't understand or even look at what was traditional. We just knew that we had um, a mandate uh, you know, and a mission that we wanted to adhere to that was really uh, granting basically at the intersection of environmental sustainability and social justice. And so for me, thinking that the endowment really had to match that and to really back that up. And I really saw that the endowment could be tools for our grant making. It could really be tools to, um, I guess, enhance the grants that we were doing. And certainly we didn't want anything inhibiting the work we were doing on the grant side. So could our investments enhance the programs that we were already thinking about on the nonprofits? And so really just thinking across different buckets of capital and how we could utilize. So we were moving toward loan guarantees, um, loans to nonprofits, um, some interesting fixed income and and then also some really early stage angel investing. So being the first check-in sometimes can make such a big difference. So really seeing both timing, um, check size, and then where we could play to have the very most impact. And in 2007 is when we got that done. In 2008, the financial crisis, we were not in public equities at all. Wow, so that's impressive. It was, And it wasn't anything that was, oh, I can't say that we were predicting the markets. Um, it was more that I hadn't found anything in public equities that fit our values. And we were having such incredible impact. And then we also had the liquidity we needed through investing in local banks and CDFIs. So it wasn't until I got asked by many to come speak to family offices, foundations, nonprofits, um, groups that had endowments because they had been watching. And of course, in 2007, it was brand new. In 2008, when we were up 2% and foundations were down about 28% nationwide, this became more interesting to people. And yet when I would talk to them about what we were doing, they didn't have the capacity or the mindset, or it was just too different uh, to be out of public markets. And so that was really an aha moment for me in that, wow, we need to be able to take this kind of really careful, thoughtful, strategic impact investing and bring it into the public markets. So that was the inception of NIA, and NIA means intention and purpose. And so that's what we're up to is selecting companies that are working across our six solution themes as far as investing into um, the economy that we need. That's that's amazing, Kristen. I, I think this is a phenomenal start for your family foundation. And just coming at it from the perspective of how can we change what's been happening and make this better, which is what it sounds like you were doing, is I think an unusual step for any initial foundation. So you, you, I'm not surprised you were asked to speak and talk about what you were doing um, in order to share that. <clears throat> I would like to talk about your focus on gender lens investing. It is certainly a passion of ours at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services and many, many of our clients. I recently had a new client who said, can we do gender lens investing? And of course, you popped into my head and I said, of course we can. Um, so let's talk about that. 
what are, well, let's tell me what your definition of gender lens investing is. Sure. So it's varied and it really is just bringing the concept that we're investing for everyone or that we are investing for uh, benefits to women and girls, which I would argue really just bring balance to our world and our economy. Um, and, And there's often actually an opportunity for alpha because a lot of times women and girls have been overlooked. And so particularly when it comes to healthcare solutions, there, there's definitely some opportunity. Um, and there's also some opportunity to just do things better, more efficiently, and oftentimes more effectively when we're thinking about having women and girls in mind. So one example is uh, maybe both of you may know this about the car industry. It wasn't until very recently that crash test dummies were weighted the size of women. They had all been um, I think 200 pound um, dummies really replicating a man. Um, I did not know this. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I didn't no, know no. that. Yeah. So yeah. Cause keep telling us more. Oh, so, so that's what I'm talking about. Designing, just really remembering that women are 51% of our population and having that in mind while making decisions. Right. I, that is a very good example of where, corporations are lacking on paying attention to to women's issues. Do you have a, a, a specific focus in your gender lens investing? Is there something you really hone in on when you're looking? Because now you are in the capital markets, of course, and, um, and stocks, and, and you are doing that for us. But what, where would you focus your, your attention So we start with how a company is baked. So we want to see companies that are baked with purpose. And we really start with our six solution themes. And I designed those in 2012 and really just using systems thinking to start with the end in mind and ask what is needed for people and planet to not only survive, but to thrive together. And so backing up from there, we're going to need to stop extracting from our planet and from our communities. And so that would mean um, reducing, removing our reliance on fossil fuels and moving towards renewable solutions, wind, solar, and eventually waves, etc. We're going to need to be more efficient and effective with um, heating and cooling, um, transporting, all of those things. So looking for efficiencies. Um, and that's oftentimes bringing a gender lens because women in general, when they're on the team, have more sustainable solutions and ideas. So, so adding women to a team can often help um, enhance those, those sustainability practices. Of course, we need to see women in leadership. So all of our companies have women in executive management and on the board of directors. And when I started this research in 2012 for this portfolio, that actually eliminated more than 50% of the companies that we address and that we look at. And of course, we've come a long way and yet not that long. So we yeah. do really um, push, but we, we are an activist firm. So in addition to choosing those companies that already have women in leadership, we're looking for diversity and leadership in general. And we're having conversations with every single one of our companies about policies and practices and really bringing in the very best practices in uh, you know, enhancing an, an inclusive workspace. And I'll just back up to say when we were founded, we became Gender Equity Now certified. And that is a certification 
that really looks at a company to see what are your policies and practices and are they leading to an inclusive and equitable workplace. And of course, being women-owned and having gender lens products and having primarily female employees, I thought they would just hand us over the certification. And it turned out it was an eight-month process. Wow. We learned so much about what are the policies and practices that lead to a gender um, equitable workplace. And what is so great about that is we are now able to use those uh, um, and those research-backed ideas uh, to do due diligence and have conversations with each of our companies. That is very interesting. I didn't know there was a certification. I'm going to have to look into that. I'm not surprised it it took a while because you know, if they're serious about this, they're really going to doing it, going to do a deep dive on you, um, which it sounds like they did, and it's helped your process in the um, in the end. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And we're not in the end, you know, we haven't achieved all of these things and yet we are able to talk with each of our companies about concealment clauses or DNAs or forced arbitration. Uh, Some of the policies that are legacy policies that are status quo and yet looking to have an inclusive and diverse workplace, those policies can get in the way and actually undermine the efforts. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to take a little step back and you mentioned six solutions themes. And I think you might have uh, discussed a couple of those in your your last bit there, but are you willing to share kind of the process here on those six solutions themes? Oh, of course. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I did them in 2012 and interesting to me is that in 2013, the UN Sustainable Development Goals were released. And while I wasn't at their table and they weren't working with me on mine, clearly we had studied the same systems thinking. So while I have wrapped up the solutions needed for people and planet into six comprehensive themes, they spread them across 17, and yet they're so interrelated. And I didn't actually put women and girls into our themes. I just weave that throughout our entire process at NIA. They have specific investing in women and girls as part of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. But at any rate, they're very, very similar. So I did talk about uh, sustainable planet, uh, renewable energies, um, sustainable and affordable and ecologically minded uh, transportation. So we really think about what needs to be transported where and what is the best method to do that. And then also, can we think about not transporting things? Can we have companies that are focusing on using local uh, resources and then also selling to or working with local communities? And how does that reduce needs for transportation and maybe even build into community? Uh, Another one is healthcare. That one, particularly with a gender lens, we also use uh, an eye for racial equity. So we're focused on diseases that really affect women and people of color the most. Uh, Those are often the ones that are overlooked. So uh, really, when we're honing in on on healthcare, those, those are the types of things that we're looking for. We also are interested in Um, Of course, education uh, and communications. And can we find those things in public equities that that isn't always true across the board? And so in those cases, we look within each of our companies to see what are they doing for um, education, either for their workers, their staff, their employees, and or in the community. And how are they thinking about uh, enhancing people's lives through education? I really like your approach on on all of this, and I'm I'm wondering if the social justice push we've seen in the last 
five years has changed the lens that you look at any of your companies when it comes to um, uh, people of color and you know women and what's been happening on all of that? So it doesn't change the lens we look at because we've been very consistent since inception of, you know, with a strong social justice lens. What it has done is been able to, to push forward the conversations that we've been trying to have with each of our companies. So for example, when the George Floyd incidents happened in 2000, in 2020, we already had relationships and queued up more conversations and we we're able to ask our companies, what were they doing for Black Lives Matter? What were they doing to show that? Did they have their CEO make a statement? Was it substantive? Had they made commitments? If so, what were the commitments and what were they working on within their own companies and then also out in the community? And so also watching political giving. So we're, um, you know, of course, wanting our companies to to work well uh, within the political system. And yet if they are giving to candidates that are not or that are anti-voting rights, that could be problematic. Uh, or if they're anti-gender rights, um, then, we're, then we're in trouble there. So really making sure that the companies are aligned uh, with their own products and services and with their own missions and their political giving. So that's something that I'd say is more up now as, as the economy and the uh, our political space has gotten so polarized. That's something we need to watch for more. You're absolutely right. And I, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, what would be your options in some of these states that, that are now coming up with anti-trans bills, the anti-abortion bills, making it so much more restrictive? Um, how would you say we as investors should be approaching? You know, one thing that's a topic of conversation in our investment committees is can we continue to invest in, and actually we don't have any companies located, uh, headquartered in Texas at this time, mm -hmm. but does that make sense to have that when it's not a, a you know, a female friendly or actually, I don't know who it's friendly. State <laughs> I'm not sure who it's not. friendly to either. <laughs> right. So, so those are the types of questions that we then ask our companies and say, you know, if you have any operations happening in some of these states, what are your plans? And we'll ask them, you know, what are your plans? Particularly if, you know, Roe v. Wade, Wade um, you know, is overturned. What, how are you thinking about recruiting, retaining top talent when it comes to women, uh, when you know the state and your surroundings aren't working for women. So those are um, we get the companies thinking. We definitely stay in dialogue with them. What we have really noticed is that change does happen one conversation at a time. And so we are here to have those conversations. That is exactly correct. It does happen one conversation at a time. And and you know, we've discovered that over the past couple of decades. You have a lot of conversations with your companies, um, get them into dialogue, talk about what they're doing right, what they're not doing right. Are you also filing shareholder resolutions or are you mainly focusing on the dialogue? We file. We do use that tool. So in... In my ideal world, the conversations are win-win and that they are really seeing the the policies and practices that we're asking for as really something that will enhance their bottom line. Uh, there are multiple bottom lines. And when those conversations are moving in, in, in a pace that we believe they're actually working on these issues, then, then we just keep it at a dialogue. In fact, we're just about to send out our spring notifications asking for conversations just to check in on our last dialogues. When mm -hmm. we feel that the conversations aren't as constructive or moving as quickly as they could or should be, then we 
do resort to the shareholder resolution. And we're quite strategic about that. And, and we've won some significant progress, made some significant, um, gotten some great vote voting outcomes from some of our resolutions. Would you share one of those with us? Oh, sure, sure. So before, I think in 2019, before the Black Lives Matter had really uh, exploded across the country, we were at a, a small company called Fortinet, which is a cybersecurity company, and they didn't have any issues at all. And yet we were concerned that they weren't checking their diversity, that they weren't working towards it, that they didn't have a plan to enhance it. And of course, all tech firms have this issue. They're not alone in that. And yet we asked for a diversity reporting and uh, you know, the SEC allowed us to have that resolution. We won that at over 70% before these big issues ha- had gone across the country. We also won and diversity report at IBM at over 94%. Um, So some of these, you know, it it makes sense to investors. Yes, now's the time we really need to be, you know, reporting on our diversity efforts from from recruitment to hiring, um, to boards of directors, to promotions all the way through. We We need to see some transparency and a plan and an action plan. And then others were also filing on forced arbitration because Forced arbitration in employee contracts is associated with both sexual harassment and racial discrimination. So we've had some successful resolutions there. At Tesla, they continue to use forced arbitration and they continue to fight us on that. And so we've just filed for the third year in a row and we've actually removed Tesla from client uh, portfolios because of how egregious that CEO is and because the state of California now has a lawsuit um, with racial justice that and with many of the employees we have actually spoken to ourselves. And so knowing that that's going on, we, we removed it from client profiles and yet we'll continue our action until we get that issue fixed at Tesla. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, at the beginning of this conversation, I, I, I don't know what I said, but your response was something along the lines of, well, we're not anywhere near there yet to getting to um, real gender lens issues, you know, full and frontal paying attention to those. So wh- how, well, let's see, let's put it this way. What do you believe success would look like in gender lens investing? Oh, so that's a great question. So one thing is really making products and services that appeal to women because women largely sit on the sidelines. And if they don't understand a product, investment product, they're likely to stay in cash. And so making products that appeal to women. So having for in our case with Nia, we have a concentrated portfolio of just 50 names, all of which that have products and services that are beneficial to women and girls. And all of the companies have women in leadership. That makes sense to women. They really get that and they're excited about that. And so what we're noticing is they will start an account, maybe an IRA account or their personal account, and they will check it because they're interested and then they will add more to it. So if we can help women and people of color to be growing their own wealth through gender lens investing, that that will be a success. Um, I would say 
the more that it becomes a norm or a standard that a certain number percentage of women are in uh, executive leadership or on the board, I would say it should be 51% because we are 51% of the population. That's what makes sense to me. Um, similarly, on other diversity metrics, really pairing so that we have equal representation, that enhances companies. Some of the best products have come from um, inclusive and innovative teams that are diverse. And so so I think there's actually some research that diverse teams make better decisions up to 87% of the time. So to the extent that gender lens investing leads to better organization within companies, um, more efficient, more effective, and more sustainable companies, then that will be a success as well. That Those are very good points. And I did read that same uh, piece of information on how companies that are more diverse, both with women and minorities, do perform better. In the long run, I did I did read that as well. So it's it's true. Well, I have really appreciated this conversation. I, a couple of things I want to say. Um, full disclosure: I have Nia's portfolio in my retirement account, just just so we can let people know that. <clears throat> but also, uh, is there anything you'd like to say more about the firm or yourself uh, before we end this conversation today? Um, let's see. Well, we are excited that we are launching a mutual fund very soon. So really looking to democratize access to this type of investing so that 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 is really exciting for us. And then the other thing is we are working on a US racial justice portfolio that will be released later this year and really focusing on companies that are really making the shift so that we have a more equitable society, particularly when it comes to brown and black people. I'm very excited for both of those. Um, so I'm looking forward to having the opportunity for our clients to be able to invest in your mutual fund and the racial racial justice portfolio as well. So very exciting. Uh, listeners always want to know how they can participate in this and for us, all they have to do is give us a call. Um, before I get into that, I just want to ask Eric if you have any questions, because I know sometimes you're back there mulling and, and you have something you want to ask, Kristen. Kristen, you know, here's the thing. I, I, I'm fascinated at how people find that passion. And I know that you and Kim spoke about that at the beginning of the podcast a little bit. Um, but really, what drives you at this point? Is it a sense of making that change and making the world a better place? Or is it really kind of sticking it to these companies to say, Hey, look, you all need to change because there's a competitive part of me that is, as I've learned and grown with Kim's knowledge, as she teaches me along this way, I'm like, Oh yeah, let's, let's get after that company. You know, it's, it's a, <laughs> a rallying cry. Where are you at on that scale? So we invest in the very best companies out mm -hmm. there. So they're already moving in the right direction. And we're just there to help them move either a little bit faster nice. or just diversify that ship as it sails. You know, we're not after, you know, we're not going after the Chevrons or the Exxons. Uh, those are easy companies to pick on these days, you know, and saying that your entire business model needs to change. Let's turn this ship around, clean it up and diversify it on the way back. We're not here to do that. So we're pretty strategic in our conversations and feel that we really do have a value add to these companies. Um, 
we're not trying to stick it to anybody. We really are the do-gooders out here. And so uh, to the extent that they can see us as that and, you know, having that value add, that that's really what we'd like to do. And we are really here both to make things better, but also to profit from that for our clients. You know, mm-hmm. we know that the solutions needed, the market will reward for those, especially when they have good governance and a team that can execute execute on those ideas. And mm-hmm. so we know that we can harness the markets for that. And we want our clients to benefit from that. Well, it sounds like it's a, um, you attract more flies with honey kind of situation. You get more work done when you're able to team up with these companies and and not necessarily shame them. You're, you're really going in and saying, hey, let, let's take a look at it and, and make those changes that are, will be better for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. We're not here to shame the companies. Um, Tesla is an interesting example. It's our most problematic name. And, you know, it's the only one we've, well, that's not true. We actually removed Twitter years and years ago um, for lack of confidence in management. And so, um, so this would be the second that we removed. Got it. And and I just want to let you know, I appreciate learning new things. It's you are definitely a change maker, Kristen, and I'm really happy to have had you on the podcast today. I just want to remind our listeners, if they are interested in looking closer at Gender Lens Investing, they can reach us at the office by phone, 505-982-9661, or email, and anyone in, at our office will be able to respond to you, info at horizonssfs.com. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'll just add in that I do write the Money Doula blog and write about gender issues on that blog as well. Excellent. We'll be sure to post that. Yeah, we can definitely post a link to that. Kristen, thank you so much for being on the show. I I know that Kim has already said it, but I just want to echo it. This has been fantastic. Love the education, love the passion that you bring uh, and the changes that you're making. And of course, Kim, thank you for facilitating this. It's always a pleasure to be with you, but uh, it's even better when you have guests. I love talking to you. but Oh, I know. I know. We have a good time, but the guests are the ones who really bring some of this important information to us. And I don't know it all. So I have to have these very interesting and intelligent folks like Kristen on this podcast to help spread the word. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. And of course, our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. for listening to Deep Impact Investing, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, email us at kim at horizonssfs.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at horizonssustfin or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. 
Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc., and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.